All right. So uh, this happened to me. Uh, this happens to me a lot, actually, but this specific situation happened to me some time ago. I was at Walmart. Yes, I'll admit it. I shop at Walmart sometimes. Just, and just say it right there. I shop at Walmart. And there, but one of the reasons why I don't like shopping at Walmart is because I can never find a good parking space. I don't know what it is because it's not that great of a store, but, you know, apparently there's a lot of people that park there. And so I am driving around looking for, there's this thing that I, oh, I'm not going to get into that. But anyway, so I'm driving around and I see this spot. This woman is going to her car and it's like one of the spots like right after the handicaps, handicap spots. This is like a really good spot, right? I see her take her cart to the car. She opens up her trunk and it's, I don't know if you've ever experienced it. It's almost as if all of a sudden she starts going slower. Because I am waiting there. And I see her arrange the bags very meticulously in the back so that nothing falls over. And I'm waiting there. She gets in her car and she begins to adjust the mirror as if the mirror wasn't adjusted before. And then she takes out her phone and starts looking at her phone and checking her cell phone. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, she is deliberately making me wait for the space. <laughs> Have you ever had that? You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm saying, right? You're sitting there and you're going, what is this? You know, I'm, I'm not going to lie. This is absolutely true. Journal of Applied Social Psychology found. I know I'm a nerd, but just check me out, man. We actually take longer to leave a parking space if we know someone is waiting for it. It's absolutely true. There is something perverse inside us that says, this is my space, and I will leave when I want to. I don't have to go just because this guy, is, he's not going to rush me. There is something inside of us. We make ourselves Listen, we will make ourselves wait longer, cheat ourselves of precious time just to keep someone else from occupying our space. And we, we, we call them reasons, but they're really excuses, let's be honest. And uh, this is something else. If you honk, don't do that. The Journal, the journal of Applied Psychology, Social Psychology says if you honk, you actually end up waiting four times longer. Apparently, if you think I'm a nerd, <laughs> these people that study this is even worse, right? And this happens in all kinds of arenas, right? If you're at a restaurant, they say, the longer the line of people waiting for a table, the longer people linger at their table. It's like this psycho subconscious psychological thing. that, like, I'm going to just wait here because I'm not going to be rushed out of this position. The grocery store line. Where's Jesse? The grocery store line. See, I know exactly what he's talking about. I'm always behind the lady with the checkbook. It's like they follow me. He's like, and then they go, okay, he's gonna, it looks like he's going to go to that line. And they get in front of me. And they, and they take out the checkbook, and it's so slow. And, it's, you know, and then they have to do this. And it's like, this is my space. Don't touch my space. Jesse, you're hearing me. I know, I know you're hearing me, man. I'm telling you, I'm sitting there going, I get it. I get it. 
I don't know what it is. People grope through their purse longer. They go through their wallets longer. I, it's just amazing. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm driving, and as I'm driving, suddenly I'm behind somebody, and they suddenly start getting slower. Do you know what I'm talking about? It is like we are not going to get rid of This is called territorialism. This is my space. I don't want to make space for you. Nowhere is this more evident, I believe, than when we have to make space for God. There is something perverse inside us. And it carries on not just in the parking lot, not just in the restaurant, not just in the grocery store. It carries forward even in our church activities, in our experience with God. The story you're about to read in Luke chapter 14 is about that. In Luke chapter 14, it actually starts with uh, Jesus trying to talk he's invited to a party and he tries to talk to the people that have invited him to the party and 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 and, and the story actually begins in luke 14 when you read this it's really interesting there's this line that says that jesus being carefully watched so in other words he's at this party and everybody's got his eye their eyes on them on him jesus is being carefully have you ever been somewhere and you feel like everybody's watching you Maybe you're the only Christian in the crowd, and everybody's looking at you. I get this all the time being a pastor. You know, you go somewhere, and everybody's, like, keeping an eye on you. Poor Jesus. Everywhere he went, everybody was, it's like being under a microscope. And Jesus was under scrutiny. And here he is under scrutiny. What I love about Jesus, that when he is under scrutiny, that's when he's at his best. When Jesus is under the microscope, that's when he's, the, he's just the, shines the, the brightest. He is amazing when he's under scrutiny. And this, this whole chapter is about that. In fact, he makes this point about doing good on the Sabbath. And then he makes a point about inviting the, the, uh, the, those who are marginalized uh, to the party, to gatherings. He makes this point that the kingdom of God requires us to care for everyone, not just those who we like. Not just the wealthy but to care for everyone, not just those who can invite us back, but to care for those who cannot invite us back. Not just the pretty ones, not just the well-adjusted ones, not just those whom we like or are like us. The parable is about inviting everybody. So he continues, and then someone uh, says something, in chapter 14, beginning with verse 15, it'll be on the screen here in a moment. And I'm going to read about this right now. It says, when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, I think he just wanted to say something kind of cool. He said, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. 
And Jesus replied with a story. Wouldn't that, like, get you pretty irritated? If every time you said something to you, I would say, well, let me tell you a story. <laughs> you know who's like that? You ever watch Shark Tank? You know, Mr. Wonderful? Well, let me tell you a story, right? And this is what Jesus is doing. Cousin, let me just tell you a story. And it says, Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet. And the moment he says a certain man was preparing a great banquet, everybody knows that he is talking about God. And then my mind goes to, can you imagine eating food prepared by God? See, I don't know how you grew up, but I grew up in an Italian family. And when my mom prepared food, there was so much time and love put in it that when I eat somebody else's food today, it just doesn't taste the same. I'm just, just saying it, you know. And if my mom did that, can you imagine when God prepares food for us at that great banquet, what that's going to be? I want you to just linger and think about that for a second. This is, this is not soup and salad, by the way. See, God doesn't do soup and salad. This is a great banquet. This is not just a banquet. This is like the kind of place you go and you don't wear tight clothes. You're going to wear stretchy jeans here, man. You're going to wear stretchy pants. You're going to say, I'm going to be eating here. I'm going to have to make, wear something that I can just kind of make sure that I'm stretching out of here, man. I'm not, I'm not doing this. Because this is going to be a great banquet. I love that. God does not throw little parties. God throws great banquets. God does not call us and save us so we can feel good about ourselves. God calls us and save us so that we can do great things. And that's what this parable is all about. This is not some small little get-together. This is going to be a great banquet. And the story says that he prepared this table, and at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who have been invited, come, for now everything is ready. Come, for now everything is ready. Again, I don't know what you grew up in, but at my house, Five children, four boys, one girl. And it didn't matter what you were doing during the day, six o'clock at night, you better be home. And when my mom said, dinner is ready, you better be there at the table sitting down. In fact, till this day, if I have people over my house, this is absolutely true. And I apologize if you've been over my house and this happens because it's just something that my mom put in. To this day, if I'm cooking pasta, and you're coming over my house, and I've got this pasta made. And I say, okay, the pasta is made. What I'm actually saying to you is, you better sit down, because I don't want this stuff to turn into glue. I just put in a lot of hours in this. I just put in a lot of work, and you better sit down and enjoy this meal. Stop talking right now. Get here. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. We're going to bless the food. We're going to eat. Okay? You get it? You know what I'm saying? And, and that's just, my mom did that. And so, so the master says, look, the food is ready. Go tell everybody that I've invited that the food is ready. 
but they all alike began to make excuses. How are you on excuses these days? You, you, make, you make excuses? I mean, we call them reasons, I know. But let's be honest with ourselves. Can, can, we, can church be the place where we can get honest with ourselves? Is that, like, forget about every place else, anywhere else. I, I get that. That takes some time. Get used to that. Okay. But in church today, can we just be honest with ourselves? We make excuses. I was reading online, uh, and some of you might have probably seen some of these, uh, some of the most ridiculous excuses people actually use to get out of work. Have you read these? I got stuck in the blood pressure machine at the grocery store and couldn't get out. <laughs> this is an actual excuse that somebody used to get out of work. My uniform got caught on fire because I put it in the microwave to dry. My dog wasn't feeling well, so I tasted the dog's food and then I got sick. I was too upset because my favorite American Idol contestant was voted off. It's true. And then these are some of the actual insurance claim reasons. Have you heard these? This is actual stuff. The guy was all over the place. I had to swerve a number of times before I eventually hit him. As I approached the intersection, a stop sign suddenly appeared in place where no stop sign had ever been there before. And therefore, I wasn't able to stop and avoid crashing the car. To avoid hitting the bumper of the car in front, I struck a pedestrian. I didn't think the speed limit applied after midnight. This is absolutely true. And then one of my favorite ones, the last one here, the pedestrian had no idea which direction to go, so I ran him over. <laughs> I get that. <laughs> you know? You're the same person at the checkout counter with the check, weren't you? <laughs> so they all began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out, so please excuse me. And still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Please excuse me. See, we make space for everything else but God. We say yes to everything else but not to God. And our excuses, disguised as reasons, are excuses that really are a... a, a, a they, they are echoing from the garden because we started this thing about making excuses all the way in the garden. Do you remember? We were fine until all of a sudden we ate the fruit, and now we're starting to make it. Well, she made me do it. Well, the serpent made me do it. You know, well, now we're making all kinds of excuses. And we, ever since then, are, have just become really good 
at making excuses. We could probably teach a college, college class on how to make excuses. In fact, I'm thinking about doing that. So what I want to do today is I want to invite you to a no-excuse event. And you're in it right now. So there's no excuse. <laughs> See, here's the thing. The first person said, you know, I bought a field. I bought a field. That's like our stuff. Our stuff gets in the way of making space for God. Have you noticed that? I bought a field. Now, you know, who buys a field and then, but, but does that before they actually see the field? That's what this guy is saying. I bought a field. I need to go check it out. Nobody buys a field before they see it. You got to buy it. You got to go check it out. You got to see it. You got to pray over that field. You want to make sure it's the right stuff. Right? That's, that's how you do it. You don't just go get online and say, I'm buying that field. You don't even know what it is. You got to drive by it. You got to dream about it. You got to think about it. This is a pure excuse. And why can't he go next week? I'm just thinking. Right? The second excuse was uh, the yoke of oxen. Some of our excuses are our stuff. Some of our excuses are our jobs. I'm too busy. I'm, I'm working so hard. I can't serve at the church. Excuse. You have no idea, man, how hard it is. I'm just constantly going, 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 going. If your job keeps you so busy that you have no time for God, can I just say something to you? Please don't get mad at me. Find another job. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added unto you. I'm not, this is not my words. This is from God. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty about your job. I'm, not trying to, I'm just telling you that sometimes we have everything, all our priorities mixed up. Do you remember the jar with the big rocks? Remember this a long time? It was a old, old parable, right? With the big rocks, and then, the, then there's the bigger, smaller rocks, and then there's the pebbles, and then there's the sand, and then there's the water, and you keep filling and filling and filling, and you're like, okay, what's the point of this parable? And everybody says, well, you, no matter what you do, you can do more. No, that's not the point of the parable. The point of the parable is if you don't put in the big rock, First, it will never go in. And God, I'm just saying, is a big rock. And then the third one says, and this one's a tough one, I gotta be honest with you. I just got married. You know, whenever you, th whenever you pull out the family card on me, I, I struggle with that because I, I believe in family. I think family is important. I just got married. Well, here's my point. Yeah. Just bring your spouse. I think it would have been fine. I could just tell you this. If we're talking about church, bring your spouse. It's okay. I'm good with that. God is good with that. He would have totally accepted the spouse into the great banquet. Don't you think so? But these are our three excuses. Our stuff, our jobs, our family. These are the major ones. There's more, but these are the major ones. So here's what's going to happen right now. Uh, right now, deacons are going to go around, and they're going to give you a little card like this. So deacons, I know, I know you got them. They're going to be right here. And, and when you get this card, you're going to write on top of it here, you're going to say, no excuse. Now, some of you are thinking, I don't have a pen. Guess what that is? That's an excuse. 
right? You can find the pen. Somebody, somebody in your line has a pen. I know that. I'm sure somebody in that long pew. We got these long pews. Somebody's got a pen. Get a pen. Write down no excuse. And then here's what I want you to write. I want you to write your name. Yeah. I know. A little accountability here. And then I want you to write what you're going to pray about. Whether it's stuff, busyness, or family issues that you've been making excuses about for not serving God. Would you do that? Just write that down. And then what you do is when you've written it down, fold it like this so nobody else on your group sees it. And then pass them to the middle of the aisle and just leave them there. When we leave today, we'll have the deacons pick them up. Pastor Fred and I will pick them up and we'll be praying over these. Fair enough? Can you do that for me? You sure? No excuses. No excuses. All right. So here we go. You're going to write down no excuse. And then you're going to write down something that you feel like, yeah, this has been something that I've been using as an excuse for not serving God, for not serving in, in, in the church, for not, not volunteering with, with something that I could have been volunteering for. But I've been using this, you know, and, and stuff could be TV. You know, stuff could be Netflix. Stuff could be, uh, you know, a building project, you know, that, you know what I'm talking about, right? It could be anything. You just, you just write, stop going like this, wives. Stop, stop it. I've seen some of this. Don't do that. <laughs> Let them do their own, okay? Now, I love this. And you could do that as I talk. Can you do that? Can you multitask? You must be good at it. So the servant, the story says in verse 21, came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry. Some versions say furious. Like he just didn't get it. How, how is this possible? I made this banquet. I texted everybody, emailed everybody. I even sent like a personal guy to go out there and make sure you come. And you're going to come up with these excuses? And it says, and ordered his servant to go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Isn't that awesome? And it's as if God was saying, look, if they would rather live with their excuses than make room for me, then live in my abundance, then let them do that. If they would rather live in their excuses than make room for God, than make room for the great banquet, then hey, that's okay. See, God is never going to force himself upon us. Do you believe that? Yeah. See, this is an important point. Because one day you can never say to God, but God, why didn't you make that clear to me? No, no, trust me. God is making it clear to us all the time. All the time. 
And we need to be able to just say, God, please, uh, there's something wrong with my ears. There's something wrong with my mind. I'm not thinking straight here because I don't always get the clues. God, please give me a clue. Help me. Help me to understand. Help me, God. Spend time in the Word. Spend time on your knees in prayers. And guess what's going to happen? As you do that, God is going to open up pathways in your brain that you're going to be able to experience God in ways that you've never experienced before. You will know. You will have a clue. Trust me. But we need desperately to put away the excuses and say, God, help me to enjoy. Because here's the thing. It's not that God just wants you at a party. It's that God wants you to experience great, awesome things. Do you believe that? See, God is inviting us to a great banquet. God is inviting us to accept greatly, to serve greatly, to love greatly. To step out from our excuse mode into the stage of adventure. See, that's what, that's what Brandy's doing in May. She's never been in Nepal before, as far as I know. She has no idea. She doesn't even know what she's going to be doing over there. She just knows, I know they're going to be needing me for something, and I'm just going, no excuses. I mean, it would have been so easy for, for her to say, where on earth am I going to get 4600 bucks? That's, that's crazy. That's not going to happen. Now, please know that many of you in this room are amazing servants. Please know that. And if you are one of those, and I know you, I'm not talking to you. In fact, even if you're not, and you have been making excuses, guess what? I still love you very much, and if I do, God loves you even more. God is just saying, look, you are missing out. You're missing out at the adventure of your life. There is no greater feeling than to be in God's work. Because where God is working, the Holy Spirit is there. And where the Holy Spirit is, things begin to happen. And life begins to be just so totally, uh, it, it's, it's amazing. And God is inviting us to step out of our comfort zone. Not to settle for soup and salad, but for a feast. And I know that some of you have told me stories about times when you have stepped out of your comfort zone to do something, and it was one of the most amazing decisions you ever made. It was fantastic. And you said, I will never go back to the old way. And it's true. That's what happens. It's hard. It's hard to go back once, you've, once you have tasted the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything else tastes terrible. So he says, bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Because you see, church is ICU with TLC for all. And I love this. It says that the servant, I love this servant, by the way. He's like, okay, let's go do this. He's getting everybody in there. And then, and then he servant said, you know, what well, your order has been done. And then he says these words, which I, I just blows me away. Like he could have just said, it's been done. I'm tired. But no excuse for him either. Because he's a servant. And he says, you know what? There is still room. Are you catching this? Some of you may wonder if there's still room. I, I, I want you to know there is still room. 
there is still time for you to overcome the resentment. There is still time for you to overcome your self-centeredness. There's still time for you to overcome and to, 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 to find room in God's presence where you can say, God, please help me to stop making excuses. Let me just, whatever it takes, Lord, help me to experience this wonderful banquet, this feast that you have for us. Please, God, help me. There is still time. There is still room. Do you believe that? Because here's what the master of the house says. Then the master told his servants, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that they, that my house will be what? Full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. That's pretty harsh, don't you think so? But see, to live a life where you are feasting, to live a life that takes your breath away, you got to be willing to get winded a little bit. And how sad it would be, not just for you, I just, you need to know this. I'm a little strange. Uh, you need to know that, uh, that I love you. Some of you I don't know that well, but I love you. I, I, I don't know what it is. It's this thing that God put in me. And, and if, you, if you're not there, even though I may just know you a little bit, if you're not there, I'm going to miss you. I'm just being really honest with you. And if I, some mere human, would miss you, how much more would God miss you? See, because I think that there is, a, there is a, a space in God's heart that only you fit in. You know how we talk about it, there's a space in our hearts where only God fits in? See, I believe that there's a place in God's heart where only you fit in. And if you're not there, he's going to have a hole there. And it's such a sad day it will be if we're all there around this table at this great banquet that everybody's been invited to and you're not there. In 1973, there was a guy by the name of Gary Kildall and he wrote the very first operating system for personal computers. And some of you may even know some of this history here. It was called CPM. And IBM approached Kildall in 1980 so that he would develop the operating system for the IBM PCs. I don't know about you, but if I was Kildall, I'd be like, wow, man, this is amazing. But the story says that Kildall snubbed IBM's officials at a crucial meeting. In fact, it says that the day of the IBM meeting, the day IBM came calling, he chose to rather fly his new airplane. 
The frustrated IBM executives turned instead to a, a young guy by the name of Bill Gates. He was the founder of a small software company called Microsoft. Have you heard of it? And his operating system was called MS-DOS. Fourteen years later, Bill Gates was worth more than eight billion dollars. Kildall, who has died since then, was a smart guy. But unless you're into computers, you would never have heard of his name. And most of us are not really that much into computers. We have maybe have one, but, but all of us have heard of Bill Gates, who right now is the richest man in the world. And Kildall didn't realize how big the opportunity was that he was missing out. Please, don't be like Kildall. Don't snub God. God is inviting us to life, to the opportunity of a lifetime. Do you believe that? This parable is about that invitation to grace, that invitation to, to greatness, that invitation to adventure, that invitation to a feast instead of just soup and salad. Please, please, let's not make excuses. Let's let Richland Church become the church that people look at and say, man, those people, they really love God. They really love each other, and they really serve this community. Wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, we do a lot, and that's great. But let's not sit here and go like this and rest on our laurels. Let's do more and more and more for God's glory. Amen? Because God wants to use each and every one of us. You guys all have great gifts. All of you do. No more excuses. Amen?